Welcome to Center Ice. It is Friday, October 4th, 2019. We're continuing with our season preview series, and we're moving from the Metropolitan Division west a little bit to the Central Division. And really, this is, after the Metropolitan Division, this one is one that I've got a lot to say about. And it's a really intriguing division because it's it's always a toss-up division. It's been like that for a few years now. It's one of the strongest divisions in the league. Of course, we've got the defending Stanley Cup champions in this division. We've got the Blackhawks, the Jets, the Predators, the Avalanche. This is a great division. Mac, this is, we've got lots to say about it because it's so wide open this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing with this division compared to probably every other division is that every team except one is competitive and in the race. I mean, you look through Nashville, Winnipeg, St. Louis, Dallas, Colorado, any one of those teams could potentially win the division. And then you've got Chicago, who should be a lot better this year. Then you have Minnesota, but, you know, Minnesota's a solid team. They're not great but they're always going to kind of be around 80, 85 points. We'll see what they do this year. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's definitely overall, in, in terms of competition, it's the best division in hockey. The Atlantic is a close second, but again, you have those teams at the bottom like Detroit and Ottawa, which don't make it the best. Yeah, the, the Central Division to me also has some of the most entertaining hockey you could watch whenever two central division opponents go head to head. It's, it's almost guaranteed to be a solid matchup. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, there's some fairly significant off season moves. Um, nothing too crazy. Like for example, if we start at the top Nashville, they brought in, you know, Matt Duchesne, they traded away P.K. Subban. You know, the thing about Nashville trading away P.K. Subban that uh, not a lot of teams could afford to do is they don't really need him. They have so much depth on defense, and Roman Yossi is their go-to guy uh, for offense. And you've got a guy like Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, so much depth that you just were able to trade him away in a move that actually helped you bring in Matt Duchesne because he traded mm. away all of P.K. Subban's salary. And as much as I like P.K. Subban as a character, as a personality, I don't think he's the best player. And I think they made the smart move in this case. Yeah, and trading P.K. Subban was kind of a necessary evil if you think about it. P.K. Subban, at least last year, his production certainly dropped a fair bit in Nashville. And I always found P.K. Subban in Nashville wasn't the most natural fit. I don't know about you. There were times where he was very solid in Nashville, but there were were just as many times where he just kind of felt a little out of place, if you know what I mean. And I think that being able to move P.K. Subban and really not have a major impact on your roster and being able to bring in one of the perennial free agents of the offseason and Matt Duchesne really was a good move for the Predators. I still have a few questions about their center depth, to be honest, and it's nothing against guys like Matt Duchesne, but to me, the Predators don't really have a number one center, if you ask me. Ryan Johansson is a is a very solid center, but I've always seen him more as a is a kind of a 1.5 center, if you know what I mean. It's not quite a number one center, in my opinion, but he's not a full number two center, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And the thing about Nashville is they've really lived by that philosophy of just kind of having these second-line centers on their team. And um, it's Part of it is the fact that it's so difficult to find a number one center, whether that's trades, free agency. Uh, But I think, you know, David Poyle, um, looking back at some of the number one centers that have been moved over the years, you know, maybe he should have been more aggressive on uh, Ryan O'Reilly, for example. But ultimately, um, 
this is where the chips fell and he felt uh, he didn't want to pay that kind of premium and he'd rather go after those centers via trades and free agency. And it, we've talked about this before, but I still think he regrets trading Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. Mm-hmm. I think the Predators gave up on Jones a bit too early. If you ask me, he's turned into a solid defensive player for the Blue Jackets. And for, for me, the, the thing with Pole is he makes some solid moves, but he doesn't really want to touch any of his core, if you know what I mean. Sometimes to uh, make your team better, you have to make moves like that. You have to be willing to trade a guy like Johansson if you want to get that number one center. And in my opinion, I think if you bring in a number one center, Nashville is a solid team to begin with, but if you brought in a real true number one center, I think it would have made made a big difference in the last couple of playoff appearances for them. Oh, absolutely. Because again, the, the two, the biggest keys to winning a Stanley cup are having depth down the middle, specifically, you know, top two, top three centers and goaltending. And, you know, they've had Pecorine during his prime and, you know, he's had some years in the playoffs where he struggled, but for the most part, he's been great for them in the playoffs. But, when you come up against teams that have that great center depth, it's tough. It's tough for a second line center to line up against a top player in the league and shut him down. And I think that's part of the reason why the Predators haven't experienced much playoff success, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point there. And Nashville had a a pretty good win last night. They beat the Minnesota Wild 5-2, to two, but to me that's kind of expected if you think about it. And oh, yeah. I mean, they're, exactly, they're supposed to win that game. Mm-hmm. You can't lose that game on the first game of the season. No, and Matt Duchesne had a solid night last night too. He picked up three helpers. So Matt yeah. Duchesne is already making an impact in Nashville, but as someone who's seen Matt Duchesne get moved around, from experience, I think as much as Matt Duchesne had a good night last night, it's not that I wish anything bad on him, but in my opinion, it'll take Matt Duchesne a little bit to uh, settle in to his new role in Nashville because we saw that when he moved from Colorado to Ottawa, he struggled a fair bit for at least a couple months. And then he really started to pick it up after that. And for the rest of his time in Ottawa, he was a solid point getter. And then when he moved to Columbus, it took him a couple months there to really adapt a torch system and become a key piece of that Blue Jackets offense. And by the time the playoffs rolled around, he was lighting up the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins to an extent. And maybe being part of Nashville in the training camp does make a difference, and I hope it does for his sake. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see Matt Deshane going through a bit of a an adjustment period again, just based off his history. Yeah, I mean, he does seem awfully comfortable so far in Nashville. And let's face it, this is the best team he's played for. Uh, Even when he was on Colorado, they were still in the rebuild state. You know, guys like McKinnon, Landeskog, these guys were still really young and not where they are right now. So from his standpoint, I mean, why wouldn't you be comfortable? I mean, this is a perennial contender and they're always in the race no matter what it seems like every year so plus you get to go to kind of like a country style which is what Matthew Shane really identifies with you know he loves music he loves uh, visiting Nashville playing in Nashville so you know he gets the best of both worlds here yeah well I remember when he was in Ottawa after Sens games he would go to the uh, in-game pub I guess you could call it in the arena and he would go sing country karaoke. It was quite something. <laughs> he loves he loves that country music. So you're right. It's the best of both worlds for him. But I still have some concerns about Nashville. I think that Pecorino has proven himself in the playoffs, especially in 2017. But my concern isn't with Nashville. It's the competition they're against. As we mentioned off the top of the show, you've got Colorado, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, Winnipeg, 
all of these teams, nothing against Minnesota, but really those five teams at plus national making it six could make it could win the central. If you ask me, it's a yeah. wide open division. It's the wild exactly. West. Yeah, so, certainly. For me, Nashville is a team that's boomer bust. I have no doubt that they're going to make the playoffs this year. I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, unless they get injuries. But come the playoffs, they're either going to boom and they're going to make it to the conference finals or even the Stanley Cup final, or they're going to wither out in round one. That's what I see Nashville as nowadays. And I've seen that over the past two, three, four years. They're either making a run to the conference finals or they're withering out round one. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a perfect assessment. Um, and most of it will come down to, I think, at the end of the day, um, how does Pekka Rene play? I mean, like we mentioned, he's usually very good, but some years he's been really off, uh, not tracking the puck well, maybe a little fatigued. I do think they need to make that a priority, much like every team, and make sure UC Saros gets in there for 20, 25 games. Make sure you have a healthy Pekka Rene. You know, you don't really care about winning the division. I think the biggest thing for them is just get in. I think every team is, is really going to start uh, playing by that philosophy. I mean, there's always going to be one team, obviously, that wants to win the President's Trophy, right? But the benefits of winning the President's Trophy, all it is is bragging rights. That's all. Every team Absolutely. makes the playoffs, it's a playoff spot. It doesn't matter where you are, you have a chance. So I don't know if you saw this, but Tampa Bay, uh, they quietly put up their uh, President's Trophy banner over the offseason. Remember last year, uh, on opening night, Nashville had a big celebration about winning the President's Trophy. But you could tell, not only on the players' face, but on, on the faces of fans in the audience, they didn't care. It's the President's yeah. Trophy. Yeah. It's great that you were the best team in the league in the regular season, but in 20 years, no one's going to care that you won the President's Trophy. They care that you win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, to bring in a classic hockey phrase, right, the team that wins the President's Trophy never wins the Cup, it's almost more the team that wins the President's Trophy is overshadowed by the team that wins the Cup. And that's always the case. Yeah. So if you're Nashville, you're right. The philosophy is, and I think for every team in the Central this year, is just get in. We're in the strongest division, arguably, in the NHL this year. And... Just making it in gives us a chance to compete for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, absolutely. A prime example, look at the Blues. All right, so I think we're, we're pretty much in agreement on Nashville. Definitely a playoff team. Like you said, the only thing that could prevent them from getting there is probably injuries at this point. So let's move on to the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of change over the offseason with the Winnipeg Jets and a few familiar faces back, but, you know, some major holes for them to fill and, and a really tough job for uh, the coach, Paul Maurice, and the players to kind of stay competitive. Yeah, but I got to say, I got to give some credit to Kevin Dayoff, Considering the challenge he faced over the offseason, there was no way he was going to be able to keep all of his star players. And I think... Considering the circumstance that he had, he did a he did a pretty darn good job, wouldn't you say? Yeah, saying for the, sure. He deserves a ton of credit, and they still have, you know, almost seven million in cap space. Mm-hmm. And speaking of cap space, the Kyle Connor holdout along with uh, Patrick Lyon, that was just a bit odd, wasn't it? Yeah, I I, I think. Um, what happened there is I think Connor more than Line wanted a long-term deal. Yeah. Line was okay with a short-term deal. And in his case, it was two years. And I think the Jets, much like we talked about on our, on our show a couple shows ago, 
I think one thing they really want him to improve is his overall play. And I do believe in the next two years, he's going to work on that. And I think they were uncomfortable signing him to a long-term deal because of that. But if they see his game grow in the next two years, they should be able to sign him. Whereas Kyle Connor, and I've talked about him before, I really believe he's one of the more underrated players in the league. He just does everything so well. Uh, the two-way game is coming along at age 22. And, you know, some people, they look at Winnipeg and they say, oh, well, he plays with, you know, Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. So, but you know what? In my opinion, you put him in any top six in the league, he's going to make an impact. I think he's almost a lock for 30 goals. Yeah, he, he made an impact last night. Uh, 19 minutes, 51 seconds of ice time, got a goal. Plus minus isn't that great with the minus three. Jess ended up losing six to four to the Rangers. But to me, and this has always been my personal belief, you can refute it if you want, but to me plus minus isn't a super telling step because it's kind of, sometimes it's just bad luck when you're on, you happen to be stepping on or off the ice and, you, and the team scores against you and that's going to be a minus. Yeah, I care more. I, agree. I, I agree care more that. about stats like blocks and turnovers and things like that. Kyle Connor had five shots on goals on goal last night. And he was able to put one in in the net. That's pretty darn good. Yeah, so, really a a back and forth kind of sloppy game between the <laughs> the Rangers and Jets last night. I mean, six four. I enjoyed I, I it. Caught some of, I caught some of the game, and it was. It, <laughs> There was almost no defense being played, Matt. No, but <laughs> that's early season hockey. And in my opinion, you can't really judge a team, at least for the first couple weeks, because it's almost like it's an extension of preseason hockey. It just counts for the regular season. It takes a week or two for teams to uh, get settled in. Yeah, and I, think, no, I agree. I think you can't can't judge your team on the first few games of the season. And we've said this before, but really the teams start to fire on all cylinders kind of towards the second half. But again, like most teams, they're dealing with new players, maybe new coaches, uh, potentially a new system, and they're rusty. So most teams, like for example, last night, we'll talk about this in a second, um, Buffalo and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh played terrible. The only player that was good for Pittsburgh was, you know, Malkin. And, of course, Murray held them in the game. But Buffalo handed them a big-time loss, and that's a big win for Buffalo. But let's get back to the Central now. Yeah, just to wrap up on your point, a lot of people don't really start getting concerned about their team until we get closer to Remembrance Day and American Thanksgiving. So if your team is struggling early on, unless it's something really bad, like what we saw in Pittsburgh last night, you can't be too concerned, at least not yet. But on back to the Jets, you know, it's a, it's a still a solid team. Yeah, they lost Truba, and they might lose Bufflin. But still, I look at this group, and I, I don't see any reason why they can't compete for a playoff spot. I don't know whether they can get that central division title with the amount of competition they have this year. But I think getting into a, a playoff spot is certainly something that's very realistic for this Jets team, but it's going to be tough. You and I have talked about this before. It's not that the Jets are a bad team. It's that every other team around them is just as good, if not better. So I think consistency is going to be big for the Jets this year, particularly in Patrick Laine. I think he's once again going to be an X factor for the Jets because there were stretches last year where Patrick Laine just went stone cold. He had stretches where he was quite hot and he was putting the puck in the net. But then we had two, three, even four-week stretches where Patrick Laine just couldn't find the back of the net. He wasn't doing much in the ice. He was more of a liability and... Of course, he made those comments over the offseason that he got pushed down into the third line at one point. But my response to that is that he wasn't playing well enough during those top two line minutes. And 
if Patrick Line uses that as motivation and is more consistent this season, I think it makes a big difference in where the Jets will finish in the Central. Yeah, and a couple points I want to make on the Jets before we wrap on them. 18-year-old Vinny Hainala, he is very impressive. For a young 18-year-old defenseman making the team out of training camp, I caught a bit of his play last night. We'll see if he stays past, you know, the 9-10 games, but, I mean, so far so good. And to me, I think the biggest thing I took away from last night as far as the Jets go, from what I saw, Nikolai Ehlers looked fantastic. And not just, you know, he always passed the eye test for you because he's got blazing speed, he's got great skill, and he's just exciting to watch. But to me, this was a different Nikolai Ehlers. He was, like, not hesitant in any way. He would you know, go to the net, he would set up plays. I didn't see any hesitation from him. Use his speed, use his skill. I think this could be a really big year for him because, you know, all the talk in the offseason is Connor and Line. Meanwhile, kind of the spotlight is off this kid. Remember, he's still just 23 years old. And I think he looks terrific. I don't know about you. Oh, he looked terrific last night. Uh, three assists. A plus two on the night. Eight shots on goals. That's quite good. He did have a giveaway at one point, but you know, it, it happens. And 18 minutes of ice time plus three minutes of power play time. For for me, Nikolai Ehlers had a very good night last night. He, he really stood out among the Jets players last night. And he for me, I agree with you. He's always been one of those players that has been overshadowed by guys like Connor and Lane, but that may not be the worst thing in the world because, well, Patrick Lane and Kyle Connor cast very big shadows. Nikolai Ehlers is performing very well in their shadows and has been a very solid player for the Jets for a few years now. And as you mentioned, this guy is only 23 years old. So he's got a very bright rest of his career ahead of him. And I think that, if he continues doing what he's doing, where he's more confident, he's willing to take a few more risks, be a little more selfish, continue that great passing. He's got some he's got some great hockey IQ. Whenever I watch a Jets game, I notice his IQ right away. If he keeps this up, he's going to cast a very big shadow of his own soon. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's let's quickly wrap on the Jets. I feel like they're definitely competitive. I think the big question mark is what do you get from guys like Ehlers, Lowry, Kopp, Roslovic, Appleton, Platestu, Bork, and how does the defense hold up? Because in my opinion, if if you get if you're getting scoring from, you know, all of your lines, this is a team that can beat a lot of teams. Now I don't think they're a Stanley Cup contender, but I do think they're a contender nonetheless. Yeah, I would agree. I think that there's no reason why they shouldn't be competing for at least a wild card spot come late March. Of course, injuries could play into it. It It's always an asterisk you need to put next to these predictions. We can't predict injuries. But we know what the Jets can do. It's just a matter of will their players live up to their potential. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the Jets certainly will be in a fight for a division or potentially a wild card spot, probably more likely a wild card because we've talked about how strong some of these teams are. And, you know, moving on to the next team, the Stanley cup champions, St. Louis blues finished with 99 points last year, the exact same number as Winnipeg ultimately knocked out Winnipeg the first round on their way to a Stanley cup had a very competitive game against Washington. And I think, uh, they would tell you that they started great, but they didn't finish well. They started great in that first period, but as the yeah, second they and third period came on, Washington really took over that game, and they deserved the win. Yeah, as I mentioned, Washington was down 2 nothing, And for me, with, with a team with Alex Ovechkin on it, you're never truly out of a game. But 
the uh, Blues certainly started well. I completely agree with you on that. I think having that momentum of raising the Stanley Cup banner and Ryan O'Reilly and the team skating around with the Cup certainly helped out with that start to the uh, game. But to me, I wouldn't be too surprised if we see a bit of a Stanley Cup hangover from the St. Louis Blues. It's bound to happen. It happens all the time. And if the Blues struggle a bit to open the season, I still wouldn't be too concerned. The Blues pretty much are about the same as they were last year. Not a whole lot different in terms of who's on the roster. Of course, Justin Falk, a recent addition. I thought he did okay, all things considered, against Washington. He wasn't too, too noticeable in my opinion, but I did see him. And he did his job. He did what Justin Falk does. For a group is the same. Of course, my only question is, is Jordan Bennington going to continue to be the stud we saw in the playoffs last year? Yeah, I, I think that's the big question because everything else, if you look at this team, they're just absolutely stacked. Not only like with forward depth, but like the defense is straight unfair. I mean, you've got three top-tier defenders with Pareko, Petrangelo, and Falk. And then, you know, Bo Meester, Gunnarsson, Bortuzzo, and Dunn is nothing to slouch at either. And the forward depth is just ridiculous. I mean, like, you're running guys like Ivan Barbashev, Robbie Fabry, Sunkvist, David Perron. I mean, this team is absolutely stacked. So the only question I have is, like you said, is is Jordan Bennington going to play like he did down the stretch last year? But for me, this this team is an absolute lock for a playoff spot. And I, if they play like they did last year, certainly a threat to win the Stanley Cup again. Uh, absolutely. It's, if you look at the lineup and the roster, for me, this team is built to compete in the Central Division. They've got speed. They've got size. They've got strength. They've got Solid goaltending asterisks with with Bennington. You've got a very good defensive core. This team is certainly going to give any team in the league a run for their money. Yep. Okay, so we're in agreement on the St. Louis Blues. I'd say a lot of people are in agreement on the St. Louis Blues as well, that this team, despite being fluky to start off the first half of last year, there's no reason why this team is going to go back to that this year. This team has all the confidence in the world. They're playing for one another. The Blues are a lock for the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, so let's move on to another very competitive team, the Dallas Stars. Well, Dallas had one of the more active off-seasons this summer, bringing in guys like Pavelski and Perry. And you and I are both pretty high on the Dallas Stars throughout the offseason, if memory recalls, you and I, we liked the moves they were making. They were getting more experience. They were bringing in guys who may have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. And I like what the Stars are doing here. I like that they've got their goaltending figured out. They've got Ben Bishop, who was very good last year. And they've got a great top six now. The bottom six, to me, is a little iffy at times. But it's still nothing to uh, nothing to be too, too worried about. Defense, they've got Lindell and Klingberg on the top line. Heiskanen, I don't need to go into too much more about Heiskanen. You and I both know what he can do. Very good player. Sakara's a good player. Uh, I hope Roman Polak, I know you've been very critical of Roman Polak over the past few years, but I do hope that he will be okay. I'm sure you saw what happened last night between the uh, Stars and the Bruins. Took a nasty uh, tumble into the boards. Had to get stretched off. Yeah, that wasn't pretty at all. Um, The latest news on him is he has full use of his extremities, quote-unquote. He is in the hospital. And then uh, not only that, but last night they also lost Blake Como after he got a puck to the face. And had to be helped off by trainers. There was blood everywhere. That wasn't pretty either. Kind of a slow start last night for Dallas. And Boston had two quick goals. And Dallas really dominated the second half of the game. But it didn't matter because they only scored one. 
Mm-hmm. A bit of a rough start to the season for Dallas, but as you and I have mentioned before, it's it's the start of the season, uh, and I think that Dallas, they've got a lot of new faces in this year. I think it will take them a little bit to gel, and I I fear what this team could do if they really gel together. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with what you said. I think the only question with them is how is the bottom six? How does it play? Because when you compare with a team like the Blues or um, Avalanche, you know, you've got Cogliano, Faxa, Como, Yanmark, Dowling, Guryanov. It's just not the same. No, it's, it... not, it's not bad by any stretch, but it's not even close to as good as what a team like St. Louis or Colorado can offer. For me, the top six on Dallas is really going to have to carry the team this year. Because I'll something that this this Rope Hints kid is really fun to watch. I really enjoy watching him play. He he works hard. He drives to the net. He's got unbelievable speed and skill. And I didn't know much about this kid, but he has risen through the system and become their number two center. It's it's quite impressive. I didn't get to watch much of the uh, Stars and Bruins game. I did get to catch a little bit of it and. Hinton certainly was noticeable out there. I like, I like the speed he brings. He's such a fast skater, and I know you could say that about pretty much any player in the league. But I really noticed it. I don't know about you, but I noticed it. And just to go back on overall for Dallas, for me, I'm gonna say they're a boomer bust team like Nashville. To me, they're either gonna be really competitive for the entire season they're going to go for the central division title or they're going to just miss out on a wild card like they did last year. There's no real in between for me. I don't think that they're going to be in that two or three spot. They're either going to be a one or they're going to be one of the wild cards. That's just the impression I'm getting from Dallas. Yeah. I think there's certainly a playoff team. And like you said, it's possible that the, bottom six really gets going and starts playing really well for them down the stretch. I mean, that that's what you want from your hockey team going into the playoffs. And remember, they could potentially make some moves. You know, I don't know how attached to all the players they have, uh, they have right now. They are. So certainly a team that is a threat to win it all and a threat to win the division. But, you know, I think you and I agree a playoff team, whether they're a wild card or a division team. The the only way I see them missing out on the playoffs is injuries. Injuries, if if their top six gets, if a good chunk of their top six is dealing with injuries, I don't see them making the playoffs. But if they can stay healthy and Ben Bishop continues to play strong, I don't see any reason why they won't be competing for a playoff spot. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to Colorado. Yeah, Colorado made some big moves this offseason. Of course, they traded Tyson Berry to, and Alex Kerfoot to Toronto for Callie Rosen and Nazem Kadri. And Kadri gives them something that they didn't really have before. You know, the, the way I can describe him from his time in Toronto is he's, he's a good second line center that can not only contribute offensively, you know, you shouldn't expect a ton of goals from Kadri. You know, he can usually pop in 25 to 30, but what he excels at is playing against those top end players. You know, Toronto over the years used to run him against, you know, McDavid Crosby, and he would do a fantastic job of taking away time and space and not taking many penalties. So that's that's kind of what you're getting in Nazem Kadri. And first game for the Abs, I mean, a good win over Calgary, a close game nonetheless. You know, Grubauer looks good. The team has some great pace to them. Of course, they brought in Valerie Nachushkin, Jonas Donskoy, much more depth on this Avalanche team than they've really ever had the last few years. Yeah, they've got... A lot of depth, and I think that makes them even more dangerous. Uh, if you look at the bottom six here, you've got Nito, Confer, Donskoy, 
Calvert, and Bellamar, and Nishkinen. That's a very solid bottom six. I don't know if it's quite as good as what we see what we see with the Blues, in my opinion. But it's still a very bo- very solid bottom six, and all of those guys have the potential to put up a lot of points. Yeah, and a couple other moves that I forgot to mention. They did bring in uh, Burakovsky and Belmar. Again, like these are great. These are really good players that will just add to the depth of your team. And, you know, when I compare it to last year, I think that's probably what hurt them. They were a very good team last year. Third and fourth line in the playoffs, you just weren't getting much from them. And now you compare to what they have now versus what they had last year. I mean, this is a scary good team. Absolutely. And and let's not forget that top six, especially that top line, is ridiculous. You've got Gabriel Landis-Cog, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen. Of course, they were all there last year, and we know how good they were last year. With another year of experience under their belt, that top three is just ridiculous. Yeah, and not only that, but they've got they've got the defenders on the back end. I mean, Kale McCarr, I think, is probably going to threaten 40 to 50 points this year. He's a, to me, he's kind of like the Connor McDavid of defensemen now because he's, he's so fast. He makes great plays, and I think he's become an instant fan favorite in Colorado. Oh, yeah, and... And let's not forget, on that top power play with Landis Cog, Rantanen, and McKinnon, and now you've got Kadri in there for a bit of grit as well. That's a scary power play unit, and this is a very scary team. Colorado, for me, is a real favorite and a real threat to win the Central Division. I think, I think they're going to win it. How about you? I'd say top two at the bare minimum. I think... St. Louis may have something to say about it. If everything goes right in Nashville, as I mentioned, things things could be a bit tougher for Colorado. But I absolutely agree with you. Colorado is my pick on my uh, projected standings. I do have them penciled in at top in the Central Division. It's just that top line and what they've done in the bottom six, plus with the defense, with McCarr, and you've got... Let's not forget, you've got Philip Grubauer in that too. and. Mm-hmm. He's a, he can be a little shaky at times, I will admit. But when Philip Grubauer is on, he's on. So Colorado, for me, very dangerous team. I think most people would have them at one or two in the Central Division this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly a threat to win it all this year. All right, so we got two teams left. This is a really intriguing team for both of us, I think, to to talk about. The Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, first of all, everybody knows they've got Taze, Kane, Debrinkat. Brought in Strom last year for Nick Schmaltz. An absolute steal of a trade, in my opinion. Don't really know what Arizona was thinking, but anyway, they they don't really care about that. And this offseason, they made a couple moves, not only to shore up the defense, but the goaltending. So you brought in a guy like Olimata, Calvin DeHaan, and then you bring in Robin Leonard to complement Corey Crawford. I mean, this team got a lot better in the offseason. Absolutely. Just look at the team from the end of April versus now. If you ask me what my thoughts were on the Hawks at the end of April, I'd say, well, they're still on the downturn. It could take another year or two for them to really come into their own, but give the Blackhawks a lot of credit. They were able to, in my opinion, turn things around relatively quickly. Now, does that mean they're going to make the playoffs this year? That's still very much up in the air. And for me, if they were in the Pacific Division, I would have no problem putting them in the playoffs. But Mm. in the Central Division, it's a bit tougher. Not saying this team is going to be bad by any stretch, as you've mentioned, they've made a lot of solid moves, and they, they've got a solid team here. Of course, any team with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, it, it's going to be a good team. Those two alone make the Hawks better than they would be otherwise. But just the only reason I'm not having them in the playoffs, and this is 
it'll be very close. It's just because the competition around them. When you factor in all the other teams around them, I don't have them in the playoffs. But that's just because of their competition. It's going to be a case of, it's going to be kind of like Montreal was last year, where it's not that they had a bad season. It's just the competition around them is so good. Yeah, it's certainly going to be tough. And I agree, they're definitely not a surefire playoff team. But they're certainly going to be in the race again. And I think if you look back to them last year, the thing that I that I always look back on last year is how well they played down the stretch, despite really not having any depth and despite not really having a healthy Corey Crawford and despite having a guy like Colin Delia in that who doesn't belong in the NHL at this point. So, what again, I, what I do when I think of the offseason moves a team like the Blackhawks made is, okay, how many points better are they than they were last year, right? So last yeah. year, they had 84 points. They were 36, 34, and 12. You know, teams like Colorado had 90 points, Dallas 93, St. Louis 99. And if you look specifically at the wildcard teams, you know, you've got Dallas and Colorado at 93 and 90. So Chicago, with the roster last year, was just six points short of a playoff spot. Now, having said that, you know, Colorado's better. Is Calgary better? Don't know. You know, how are the Winnipeg Jets going to do? We think they're good, but again, we, we don't really know. There's certainly uh, a scenario that could see the Blackhawks making it. And again, you know, I would say fairly significant offseason additions, especially, you know, Calvin DeHaan, Oli Mata, obviously Robin Leonard. So the goaltending I don't think is an issue anymore unless they run into injuries. And then you got a guy like Ryan Carpenter, you know, Dominic Kubelik, Alex Nylander, who you traded Henry Yokoharu for, Andrew Shaw, who you reacquired from Montreal. I mean, I, I don't know. I think they're probably at least 10 to 15 points better, maybe more. But it, it's certainly going to be tough. And, and I think the biggest problem with teams teams like Arizona and Chicago is just what you mentioned. It's tough. I mean, to make a wildcard team with the salary cap and with basically your whole core already there and make it even better versus some of these top tier teams is really tough. So we'll see. I would love to see a scenario where a team like Calgary is out and Chicago is in. And, you know, maybe Winnipeg doesn't have the kind of year that they hope for. But, like you said, I mean, right now, certainly a team that's in the fight, but we can't say they're a playoff team. And here, here's my last thoughts on Chicago, and I think this bodes very well for them. I think there's a very good chance this year that all the wildcard teams are going to come out of the Central, and I think that bodes very well for them. I don't see the Pacific being overly competitive, not to spoil anything about our Pacific preview show, which is coming, but just from looking at the teams in the Pacific and comparing them to the teams in the Central, I think the Central has a very good chance of taking five playoff spots and the Pacific only taking three. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... I I don't see Vancouver taking a huge leap and I don't see the Coyotes taking a big enough leap to make it. There's really only three good teams in that division right now. And, I mean, Calgary could have a subpar year, but if they, if they have enough points, they could still finish third in that division. But yeah, to me, Calgary, even if they have a, a big drop-off this year, comparing them to the rest of the teams in that division, I think they've still got a good chance of making the playoffs. And we'll get into Calgary a bit later when we do our Pacific show, but yeah, I think Colorado is going to be competing for one of the five playoff spots in the Central. All right. Last but not least, those Minnesota Wild. Well, off the top of the show, Mac, we said all but one team has a very good chance of making the playoffs. And we mentioned Minnesota. The thing with Minnesota is I think 
funny enough, if they if we just like Chicago, if you pick them up and switch them for a team in the Pacific, we could be talking about a team that squeaks into the playoffs. But considering all the competition around them, Bruce Boudreaux and Bill Guerin have a very tough task ahead of them. Yeah. And again, it, it's those long-term contracts that are really killing them. I mean, just the fact that you're paying Zach Parise $7.5 million until 2024-2025, that, that is a killer. And I, I do think that they'll probably try and buy that contract out at some point because I don't think you can handle that much salary on a guy who's just not doing anything for you, really. What's really interesting about Minnesota this year is I don't think Billy Guerin um, has, I think Billy Guerin has made it clear that there's probably going to be some significant moves to the roster of this team. And you look at next year, I mean, Miko Koivu will be a UFA. I mean, you have guys that teams would be interested in, like a Jason Zucker. We've heard his name floated around kind of the last two years. Nothing has materialized there, but maybe, you know, something else. And I, I think he's really trying to bring in more young talent. They've got some good young players, like a guy like Luke Cunning, you know, Joel Erickson, Jordan Greenway, Ryan Donato, but just not enough young talent. So... It'll be really interesting to see if maybe they trade a guy like Devin Dubnik. I mean, Dubnik is a guy that I think would be an upgrade on someone like, I don't know, like a Connor Hellebuck. I think he's a better goalie than Connor Hellebuck. But I don't see... I'm just making an example. I'm saying, you know, maybe a contending team has a serious injury and they trade for a Devin Dubnik. I mean, he's got two years left at a manageable term and manageable contract, so... I don't know. I mean, I, I'm interested to see how they play, not only because I feel like there's really no pressure on them, for, I would say for the first time in years, but also because I think we're going to see some some big trades and some big moves in the next few years with this Minnesota Wild team. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the thing that's really holding back Minnesota, and you alluded to it a moment ago, is those big long-term contracts. Of course, you'd love to move Parise and Jason Zucker's contract. Well, sorry, not Zucker, Suter's contract. Uh, but even with Suter producing relatively well now, those are huge contracts. And it's tough to move those types of contracts. And especially with especially uh, getting a team to take all of the money, that's not going to happen. You're going to have to hold on to some of the salary. But for me, I'm going to... I know I've talked about earlier how it's hard to get a read on a team early on in the season, but the next three games for the Wild, I think, are telling for me. Tomorrow night, they play Colorado in Colorado. Then they fly to Winnipeg and play the Jets on the 10th. And then two days later, they host the Penguins at home. And I think we can get a real good read on what the Minnesota Wild as a team are over the next three games. Now, you know what will be really interesting if they kind of pull a New York Rangers move where, you know, Billy Guerin evaluates the team early on in the season and he decides, you know what, this guy's on the block and maybe make some trades before the trade deadline, which doesn't ever seem to happen. But I think there's potential for something like that. I, but I think, again, we're in agreement. I mean, this is a solid team, but not great, you know, not a playoff team. And certainly uh, it trying to rebuild, but not well rebuilt at all, I would say. And just, I've never, <laughs> I've never really understood the moves the Minnesota Wild have made because they make one move towards a rebuild and then they sign a long-term contract of a guy who they probably didn't need to sign. And I think these, these poor moves started, you know, you go back to, when they signed Parisi and Suter. And again, I'll say this one more time. At the time, those were very reasonable contracts because, you know, Zach Parisi was a star. He was a superstar. He was one of the most feared players in the league to play against. You know, he's had injuries. He's had inconsistencies. Uh, it's been tough for him. You know, whereas a guy like Ryan Suter, 
if you look at the dollars on the contract, he's been worth every penny for them. So, I mean, it's tough because, like he said, the only thing that's really weighing them down is the long-term contracts. I do think that, um, you know, I think this is a scenario where if you get an offer on a player like, you know, a Jordan, uh, excuse me, Eric Stahl, and you get, you know, a young player in a draft pick, you probably have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's tough for a player because it seems like Eric Stahl is very comfortable in Minnesota, but, you know, maybe you can, you know, talk to the player or maybe I, I just think they're, they're at a state where they desperately need young players. Cause if you look at the prospect pipeline, I mean, not, not too much coming up there. No. And just to say, if you want to, get more detail into the uh, Suter and Parise contracts, there's this fantastic video by a YouTuber I really like called Urinating Tree. I know I've shown you some of his videos before. He did a wonderful video over the summer about the Parise and the uh, Suter contracts and the mindset at the time in 2012 and about how those contracts have really created a ripple effect into the mediocrity in Minnesota. It's, it's a fantastic video. It's not really suitable for work, I will say that much. But if you get a chance, definitely go watch it. I think he does a great job going into detail about how much those contracts really hurt the Minnesota Wild. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I think we've got everything we got to say on the Central. I'm excited to see how the Central Division unfolds this year. It was exciting last year. It's been exciting the past few years. And I, I don't see any reason why we won't have a real competitive central division this year. I agree. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. We already had about 15 listens on the show we did recently on the Metropolitan Division. Thank you so much for those. We hope you enjoy this one as well. We've got two more divisions to cover. Those are coming. We're working on them. So thanks again. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Just look for the red, white, and blue logo. Center Ice is an affiliate of the National Podcast Network. You can find us and many other great podcasts at nationalpodcast.network in your browser. And we just want to thank you again for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. Enjoy the games. For Matt, this is Mac signing off.